He's been the voice of wakeboarding for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated Toad Water Sports' biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years on the water experience, charisma, and command of his audience, Noise of the North brings you the Golden Mike Podcast with Dano the Mano. This episode of the Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you by iWake.com. Welcome, everybody, to the 10th episode of the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm the Noise of the North, Dan Mano, and now it's time for some audio sunshine. Once again, we're coming at you from Central Florida's sunny Orlando, the mecca of all things wake. Well, guys, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a toad water sports enthusiast, a traveler, a yo-yo player, aspiring photographer, and most importantly, for the last decade now, I've been the voice for professional wakeboarding. I'm excited to bring you this audio podcast twice monthly for free on the first and third Wednesday of each and every month on iTunes or at noiseofthenorth.com. To keep this podcast no charge to you, the fans, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, iWake.com, Woodrow's, Jammy Pack, Performance Ski and Surf, Hungry Board Stand Up Paddle, and everybody else who works so hard to help me get this out to the masses. Be sure to check out the sponsor link at noiseofthenorth.com to help support and find special offers and deals from the people who help me make this show happen. Please subscribe to the Golden Mike Podcast free on iTunes and be sure to rate and review the show. For those of you guys who follow some of the events I'm a part of, I'm excited to tell you I'll be officially announcing the Nautique Masters at Callaway Gardens this Memorial Day weekend for my 10th straight year in a row. One of my favorite events to go to and to be a part of. So much history and prestige on the waters of Robin Lake. And you all can watch it live on webcast. And I'll get that link up on noiselythenorth.com as the event gets closer. Now on to today's show. I was lucky enough to sit down with one of our industry's top names of all time. He's a longtime close personal friend of mine and a man whose longevity in our sport will outlast pretty much anybody else in the world. He started skiing at six months old. Not long after that, he started a career performing with the legendary Cypress Gardens water ski team. He spent years competing in barefoot events as well as three event water ski tournaments before turning his focus to wakeboarding. Parks Bonifay will be joining me today on the Golden Mike. I'm excited to catch up with Parks at his home in Claremont, Florida. We'll be talking about all kinds of fun stuff, including the all-new Prime Wake movie, his time competing, yacht surfing, and more. Okay, guys, hang tight. Right after a shout-out from one of our sponsors, we'll be back with the one and only Parks Bonifay. Woodrow's is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and a love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrow's handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Follow Woodrow's on Instagram at Woodrow's or check them out online at Woodrow's.com. That's W-O-O-D-R-O-Z-E dot com.
He won the X Games at 14 years old, five-time pro wakeboard tour champion, the first man to ever land a 1080, all-around living legend in the world of extreme sports, and I'd even say one of the forefathers of wakeboarding, Parks Bonifay, here with us today on the Golden Mike Podcast. What's up, Parks? Love the intro. That was that was nice, Dan. Yeah, I wrote that Flushing. out last yeah, night. That was, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, well, I'm stoked to have you here. Uh, you're you're going to be my first guest uh, of the new year. Uh, first guest since Brad Smela. 2015. That's right. It's a big year, my friend. It's a big year. So a, a, as we get things uh, rolling here, let's find out what's been going on with you. What's uh, What's been new with PB? Um, let's see. I uh, recently just got back from a, a trip from Panama where myself, Brian Grubb, uh, Steele Lafferty, and Colin Harrington, we went down there for Red Bull. We stayed at Nitro City for four days, and we were filming a Red Bull uh, webisode series. I think there's going to be like maybe four or five uh, different episodes. So we went down there. We filmed a couple episodes here in Orlando, and I think uh, the other two or three is going to be down in Panama. But we did some crazy some crazy stuff that typically goes down when you go down to Panama. Man, I was I was surprised I called you last week, and you know that dial tone you get when you call international, like, yeah, oh, yeah. PV's never going to pick up. And, yeah, you picked up, and we got today all lined up, so. Yeah, okay, man, this, I'm, I'm excited to do this. You know, I've uh, listened to a couple. Yeah, we got, we've got a good list of guests. <laughs> we've got a good list of guests already. Uh, we'll start out by saying this as well. We're actually here at Parks' house in Claremont, Florida. That's right. Yeah, I've lived here for what seven years now. Danny, uh, Danny and Rusty originally bought a house together out here, and they're they were they uh, lived right across the street from me when I lived in Bay Club. So, so in the Hiawassee kind of Posse, kind yeah, of yeah, kind of Wassy Posse, except for Watson, Chad, right, a couple others. We yeah. all moved out here though. It's nice though. I dig it. This is cool. It's it's a bit of a museum in here. I'm looking around this room right now, and there's uh, pro wakeboard tour guitars that Parks has won. Uh, the the vest that you wore when you water skied for the first time, your first pair of water skis. I see those sitting right there, right? Yep. First wakeboard is uh, right behind that. The Wake Tech Agro. Yeah, yeah. That, so yeah, we got I got a lot of stuff. That thing is practically a uh, water ski. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think that. That's actually a wakeboard because I think there's trick skis that are almost bigger than that now. Yeah. My yeah. mom bought a boat and they actually, for when I uh, three event water ski, when my mom bought a boat, they just threw in that wakeboard as kind of a, to sm- like help smooth, grease up the deal. So I started riding it and then she was like, you got three weeks until nationals. You don't hop on the damn wakeboard again until your biggest contest of the year. And she would, at the time she would pay I mean, I was going to ski lessons with Chuck D's like three or four times a week. So they were investing a lot of money into my three event career for me to just hop on a wakeboard. I remember being a kid and it was like a reward after you water skied, then you could wakeboard. Totally. But as I started to wakeboard more and more, I more or less didn't want to water ski the more and more I wakeboarded. So it became, it wasn't a job, I wasn't getting paid, but it seemed like something like a chore or something I had to do. And then wakeboarding would just... Kind of had more of a freer feeling, and all I wanted to do on a ski, anyways, was trick ski and do flips and hit the jump as fast as I could. And because I didn't really care for slalom, and when wakeboard came out, it seemed like it was a combination of exactly what I wanted to do. So, ski. were you were you actually doing uh, ski contests and wakeboard contests at the same time back in the day? No, I ne- never actually. It seemed like 
soon as I got done three of inning was the first wakeboard tournament that I kind of did about three or four months later. And, and what year was that, around? 94. 1994. So yeah, it was at my first con- wakeboard contest was at the Nationals in Texas, which is like a qualifier for Worlds. But there was only four of us in our junior, like in our junior boys division. I remember hearing about this. They're all, yeah, there's this California kid who can do like big back rolls. He's been riding behind a skyline. And this is like right before, you know, I think they actually towed the event with a, a low lawn, like without a, a high pull. So I, I ridden behind a skyline like one other time before that. And so, yeah, I remember hearing about Randall. Hunter Brown was there. I think Jacob Conkak might have might have been in it. We're going to put everything on hold for a moment right now, guys. It's great to hear Parks talking and reminiscing about the good old days and dropping some classic names in there as well. Now, before we get back to the interview, I want to announce our newest sponsor to the Golden Mike podcast. I'm talking about GoPuck. GoPuck is a mountable, compact, durable, and portable rapid charging battery. The technology behind this brand started in the IndyCar racing industry and now they're bringing their knowledge to the world of action sports. GoPuck allows you to stay connected, capture priceless moments, and enjoy mobile freedom. The GoPuck can hold up to five rapid charges, and I don't go anywhere without mine. Check out their website, gopuck.com. Be sure to use my promo code, MANO2015. It's all one word, M-A-N-O-2015 and you'll get an extra 10% off your entire order. Every order will help us out, and I promise you, once you get one of these bad boys in your hands, you'll never go back to straight-up wall charging once again. As we get back to the interview, PB and I are talking about the latest and greatest wakeboard film out. Prime Wake Movie features the best riding in the world, all filmed with the latest in video technology. Produced by longtime wake videographer Sean Kilgus, Let's hear what Parks has to say about Prime. I, I love the movie, man. It's a, it's a, it's great. It's a great flick, man. It's good for wakeboarding. Kilgus takes a, you know, clearly takes a lot of pride in in the way his then the quality of his videos. I don't know if you've ever seen like Art of Flight, but I think that's left a huge mark on Kilgus, and he, you know, it, it, he roughly kind of tried to replicate that style in some of those images and stuff, and he did a really good job of making wakeboarding, you know, look as good as it can good and. And the best quality. Yeah, for sure. Everybody appreciates it. And, and uh, one of only a few full-length features. I mean, the way I see it, uh, wakeboard videos have changed so much. These days, people are more used to web edits, you know, short videos. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it almost seems like a lot of the, the web edits have be, obviously become a huge part of video content. When I was 12 years old, I watched like five videos just religiously, and those are kind of like the five now. You know, kids are getting new content, new content all the time as soon as they hit refresh, you know. So it seems like a lot of the videos that come out nowadays are high-end wakeboard videos. I, you know, I think I think it's going to go full circle. I think that's one of the best things about Drop the Gun. The video that Shredtown did is that it seems like they were shooting on the fly a lot more and stuff. And it just had like a little bit different feel, almost like a, a modern day kind of pointless sure. kind of vibe to it. But it's cool to have both, you know. I'm not slamming either or I'm just saying that. It's good at both. Yeah. So, well, you made a, a couple of cameos in Prime, but you've also been in a, a lot of wakeboard movies over the years. Uh, can you even, like, remember all the movies that you've been in? 
I mean, if I tried to name them all right now, I'm sure to get some, but I definitely, you know, I, I lived and breathed and everything in my life was wakeboard. So I don't know as good as Ruck. Ruck can hear a song on the radio or something like a song that was in a wakeboard video, an Operation Ivy song from like 1995. And he's all, hey, Parks, what video is this? I'm like, Highway Drifters, no fly high, no fluid, no. And then I'd eventually guess it, but he, yeah, Ruck seems to have a knack for it. Well, he's up, an archiver. Up in he's the Midwest, <laughs> up in the Midwest, you really have no choice but to sit at home. And I mean, I remember when we were kids, I'd go over to Ruck's house, and it'd be like, you'd go over there on a Friday, and we'd be like, spray highway drifters, hit it. That was Friday night. Saturday night, spray. Six pack. No, hey, spray. Wake the I, this is before yeah. six pack, dude. Yeah, wake the peace. Yeah. <laughs> How you know we talked a little bit about. Um, about Kilgus' style of shooting, but being that you've been in in wakeboard movies for the better part of 15, almost 20 years now, but uh, how different is, is shooting now versus then? You know, it's a lot different. I mean, especially with Prime and, like, DeFi and stuff and videos like that, it seems like we would travel somewhere or we would build something, some monstrosity of a elevated pool or whatever it may be. But yeah, and it was a lot more thought of just setting up the shot. And they, I mean, and you got to when you're filming with Reds and Phantoms and you only have a chopper for a little bit. It seems like we're a lot more efficient with filming now because budgets are a lot bigger and the size scale of what you're shooting is just so much more. It's almost like filming for like Nitro 3D in the sense that like there was so much setup, setup, setup. And then when your video was actually really quick. Like, Does that change the dynamic of your riding at all? Or I don't think you get like the spontaneous kind of clips that you would get or some of the like Sean the, Murray heel side seven and hit it or whatever. Right. Or yeah. Or maybe like in, and I think shafted or something where I did a, I did a double cab roll and I landed and then all of a sudden there was a chase boat roller coming like right into the double and I came right back in left foot forward and did like a nine like back to back and I just happened to luckily get two double ups within 10 seconds it's more of a setup kind of shot and then I mean pointless was a whole different I mean we just had cameras three cameras rolling all the time so we had a lot of raw reactions and just like I remember when Danny ran right in and we're running with scissors when we were filming for Justin Season uh, Stevens and we were filming some pointless stuff Danny hit the post um, yeah. And it came up short on that one gap. And like in the the pointless footage we had of that is like, I think Shane was filming and he, he like hit the post and all of a sudden the camera just like drops on the dock and like lays sideways. And all you see is like a blurry kind of lake because it focused on like the, the wood splinter right in front of the sure. dock. And there's all these students that my mom had at the time sitting on the dock and you hear, boom, the dock, the camera hits, lays on its side. You hear a splash. You hear like Shane stroking to like, get out to Danny as fast as you can. You kind of hear like Danny moaning. And then you hear one of the kids on the docks go, what just happened? And then one kid's all, he jumped from there and he tried to make it to that. And now I think he's dead. <laughs> like seriously, you hear that like raw on the audio from Shane's camera, but you don't get that shooting reds and like, you can't catch that kind of stuff. And yeah. some of the higher production kind of wakeboard films. Like, even back then, Pointless was going. You guys had the ski school, Bonifay Wakeboard School. You guys would always have all of these students out there. Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, we were building some of the... I mean, we really always saw was, you know, Byerly hitting docks and, like, Greg Nelson hitting some ski jumps and, you know, maybe, like, the, the, the bug hit. And, like, so we really didn't have 
a lot to go off of at the time. So a lot of these rails we were building, they were like on the fly, add a cinder block here, duct tape here, put a rail here, angle it like this. So it was kind of on the fly, a lot of trial and error. And sometimes, unfortunately, I think the students of Boniface Ski School got to witness it firsthand when it when it went south. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of a build as you go. Some of some of those rails that you guys have, you started with this one, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, we'll just add this next piece. Oh, yeah, we got the up. Now let's build a, a top. And then once we filmed the top for two weeks, then we'd build it down. And yeah, and then we would take out the top, and it was a fun time, man. Just talking about pointless productions a little bit. Did you play a big part in the editing and the filming of the movie of, of Incomplete? Yeah, we all had a big uh, play in the editing and, you know, shame. I did some editing. Shane did like pretty much most of it, but we felt we had it set up right in Shane's room. So when Shane was editing, most of the time there's three or four of us sitting over his shoulder, throwing songs at him saying, yeah, I love that clip or make it longer, cut it shorter. So it was a definitely a group effort. The editing of Pointless Incomplete was pretty much just as experimental as the writing in it. It was Shane's first video he ever made. Oh, how do we edit? Oh, something called Final Cut. So it was... A lot of it was on the fly and shooting from the hip and kind of learning as you go from editing and writing and building and everything about it was kind of happened real quick. And, and a couple of years ago, you guys actually tried to do, well, you guys had a, a little 10-year reunion party. It was downtown Orlando at The Social and you, you did a, a re-showing of, of the movie. But what do you think about the crew actually getting back together and filming? Wouldn't people enjoy yeah, that? Yeah, you know, totally. I think that's a, I think that'd be a... A great idea and a, definitely a fun one to film. Has there have there been talks or? I mean, we're talking about it. Now. <laughs> we're talking about it now. No, Shane's all. I mean, we've always talked about doing another pointless film, but I guess that's a that's pretty much the story of pointless. We always talking about doing the next film. It just you know pointless happened. It was crazy because we got to film incomplete, and I think we all put everything we had into that. But it was like right at the time to where. Watson was really blowing up and Shane was killing it and Danny was real. I mean, every, from Grub and like across the board, Chad, everyone was like really getting traction in their careers. And I think that played a role in why we never really did another incomplete is because once all of us had board sponsors as Shane and Watson started filming Relentless and all these liquid movies and then and then it turned into a billabong thing. And then we started doing counterfeit this is and welcomes and stuff. And as we started riding for companies, our demands got more and more. So we were never ever, you know, as a group, we can never devote all of our time to doing another team movie. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. I want to take a quick break to talk about another one of my amazing sponsors, Hungry Boards SUP out of Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. Hungry stand-up paddle boards are built with both flat water and wave riding in mind. So whatever your needs are, Hungry Boards SUP has you covered with super durable and stable boards built with both young and old in mind. Check out their website at Hungry Boards SUP and see a full lineup of what they have to offer. Hungry Boards are real boards for real people. Just boards made to last and deliver the excitement that'll keep you hungry for more. And now, back to the Parks Bonifay interview. Parks, you're you're still riding a bit nowadays, right? Yeah. So, like, how often are you riding? It depends on the time of year and, like, if I'm traveling and stuff. I don't know, it varies. I'd say, I'd say I ride maybe like one or two times a week, whether it be wake surfing or... What's your average set? Like, what do you do when you go out there? Well, it depends. I mean, now that we have Lake Ronix, we can ride on the front cable, which is the wall ride, and 
some of the features that we have there. And then we, you know, we could also ride boat out there. And then we have the big air setup, which is its own kind of avenue of wakeboarding on its own. And then we have the whole elevated pool in the back. And then whether if I'm in Claremont, I could be wake surfing or taking a boat set. You know, it varies whether if I'm riding boat or if I'm riding front or back cable at Are Lake you, Ronix. You working on any on any new tricks or anything like that? Uh, not really. Honestly, nowadays I, when I ride, I try to just not get hurt again. <laughs> like, I mean, as much as I would want to like land the next double mode right now, I've really found value in trying to ride long term and some, and having some like longevity in my riding, you know, it, that's, it's, it, that's a big reason of why I haven't really competed on tour like the last, you know, eight years or so is let's go through this. You have me come over. I'm pulling you for a set. You're on your wakeboard. You jump in, we take off, wake shapes up, first five tricks. What's it going to be? First five tricks? Yeah. Okay, I'll probably come in and I'll do a toe side indie poke. And then I'd come back in and probably do either method or stale fish. Then I'd probably hop fakie, do a, a half cab tail glide. And then I'd probably do tail grab backside 180 and then maybe a toe front or maybe a cab front. Sick. Just to get the blood, get, get the blood pumping. Parks, are you still hitting double-ups or triple-ups at all? Not a whole lot of double-ups. Definitely not some triple-ups. Maybe a re-entry uh, time and time again if I see it. I think I last time I hurt my knee was 2011 was when I had my last ACL surgery. So I haven't tried a double cab roll since then. So wouldn't mind trying to get a grab double mode. Yeah, that would be sick. Get it for trick of the year. You're one of the only people that have ever done a double back mode behind the boat, right? Yeah. Has anybody else ever done it? I don't believe so. I think that I've seen some do it off the kickers. Yeah, Cody has. And stuff. Cody has. Yep, Cody double Moby. You're talking about your injuries. You're actually pretty lucky, though. You rode competitively for, what, almost 10 years before having a major injury. It was... 2006 was when, yeah, when I had orthoscopic uh, cleanup for my meniscus on my right knee, and then it ended up kind of getting infected. And then that's when I was pretty much off my feet roughly for like eight months and then off a wakeboard for like a year. I'm trying to think if it was the day you came back from just having the orthoscopic surgery. I remember Ruck and I were at your house. I can't remember if you had your dreadlocks on that particular day and then like the next day you cut them off. I remember you put them in a plastic bag, threw them on top of the refrigerator or something like that. Yeah, well, I I ended up cutting my dreads during my infection because I was pretty much bedridden for like three or four months. Like I couldn't, I couldn't put any weight on my right foot or like even get up the stairs so I like literally moved my mattress down into the living room and stuff and and then like yeah I think just having the whole head full of dreads and stuff I was just yeah felt like I needed a a, a reboot or something well it was so. it was that was insane you went in for a basic orthoscopic for people who are in our industry what should have been basic and then what you you were off your feet or you were yeah I kind of got like a, yeah I got like a, a type of MRSA infection and then it ended up locking up my knee. Was, so you were at a boat show when that happened. Yeah, I was a, I was staying with Billy McKee actually in Salt Lake. Yeah, and then it, it really something just didn't feel right. It started to really like burn and kind of like ache, and I started to lose a lot of mobility. And like when I was at Billy's house, I couldn't put like my leg below my heart, and when I did, it would just start oozing and pumping out all this nasty stuff. So, so it was like literally the most painful thing I've like ever experienced. Like, How did you, did you go to the hospital or what did you, you just hop to now, the Now yeah, we went to the clinic and they go, it's pretty much infected. I mean, you need to get to a hospital. So I, I figured instead of checking into a hospital in Salt Lake, 
I took the flight back. I couldn't bend my knee at all. Like it was pretty much just locked almost straight. Definitely the roughest flight I've ever had. When was the last major contest you actually podiumed in? I would say maybe the one of the Wake Lab ones in 2009, maybe 2010. Was that around I the think last? the Tempe, Arizona one I podiumed at. Was that around like the last time you competed? I've done a couple of like Wake of Fame and some other, some of Red Bull's uh, rail contests that they did and the Rising High event that they just did in Germany this past year when Brad and uh, Austin and myself went over there for that. Uh, so there's, yeah, and, and there's pretty much just relevance. I, yeah, it was roughly about the last Wake event I did was about 2005. So you, you were a super competitive rider at one time. I mean, it was one of your main things. Do you miss competing now? Yeah, to, I mean, yeah, in some aspects of it I do. It's definitely a lot less stressful being at an event, not competing at it. But, you know, it, there's definitely a part of me that is super competitive. And, you know, when I rode, I wanted to win in every, you know, shape of the word. What was, like, your mentality back then? I remember, like, watching some some things and, like, losing at a contest. And I was just like, is someone doing a trick or some? There's no reason why... I couldn't do it. So I I tried, I literally tried to check off every trick that was like possible. I was doing like switch air toe side back rolls behind the boat, which is like to even like say that is like absurd. But I was, I, I wanted to do every trick. I don't think anyone's going out there to like just to learn every trick. But like at the time, it was such a young sport at the time to where there were so many undone tricks to where I knew I was, if I thought about a trick and figured it out on a trampoline, I can replicate it on the water kind of thing. And there were some things I don't even know what I did. Like that toe side whirly bird thing I did off the double up and six pack. I only landed one. And still to this day, we don't know what that thing is. Right, right. So I I, I used to like that uh, whirly bird switch whirly bird uh, that you used to end your pass with. Pass one and pro wakeboard tour, right? <laughs> yeah. I think you also used to do switch roll to blind, regular roll to blind. Funny story about the switch roll to blind. I was down riding with Jeremy Kovac, uh, probably like 97 or so, and I did a switch roll to blind and dropped the handle and kind of like slid back around to where I was facing the boat in a butter slide in the trough, caught my rail and went to tuck my head so I wouldn't like face splat, and I put my head right through the handle. And then all of a sudden the handle like rips back and jerks me by my chin. I was underwater. It pulls me all like probably like 20 or 30 feet by my chin back up to the surface and as soon as I get up to the surface, it pops off my chin and boings all the way back up to the boat with like a non-stretch spectra rope. <laughs> it was crazy. My mom had two friends when I was younger that was a uh, that put their my aunt Ginger barefooting put her head through the handle, broke her neck, wasn't paralyzed but broke her neck. Another girl, Shelly Blum, was jumping out of Cypress Gardens when I was like seven. One of the sickest freestyle female jumpers put her head through the handle, broke her neck. She wasn't paralyzed, but everyone that I knew in a, prior to this fall that put their head through the handle had broke their neck. So as I'm getting towed by my chin, getting pulled by my neck, it's crazy how much time I had to think. In that split second where I'm getting towed, I, I think that my neck's broken and it popped off and I went to go like kick my feet. I started to like pretty much just like swim and I was just, but my throat was so bruised, tongue was bruised, throat swelled up like I never, to this day, tried another switch roll. What's crazy about situations like that is when it's happening, it feels like it's going on forever. And when it's done, you know, the person both like, well, that just happened like 
like that, you know, so, like a split second. Yeah. But you're like, dude. I mean, one time I like blacked out and like had a dream about like Mickey Mouse like singing to me, and then all of a sudden I came back to and Dean had me, Dean Lavelle had me by the vest, like pull me onto the back platform. <laughs> Talking about uh, competitions, like who were the Harley and Phil of your day? Was that you and and Darren? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a it definitely Darren was my main competition all all through the years. But you know, Murray would always win events. Brandon Johnson was on tour for two years and he won the tour. He would win. There was a couple few years when Ruck was, could win any event, you know, and then in the early part there, Dean Lavelle, uh, won a lot of contests. Then towards the end of that was when, you know, Phil was, you know, I mean, maybe 12, 13, 14 years old. And I think when Phil's like 14, 15, he would start to win a lot of contests. If you wouldn't have had the injury in 2006, do you think your contest career would have been a little bit different moving forward? Uh, yeah, I definitely think I would have rode more contests. You know, it was right about the time when the new X-Star came out. And so the wakes were really changing and riding was getting like sicker and sicker. The guys were getting younger and younger. Now that I wasn't able to win contests, you know, like I had still had tons of support from companies like Red Bull to where we could come up and, you know, piece together a contest like Wake Lab. And like it was right about the time when System 2.0 started coming out. So I, I just wanted to still devote and be involved with the sport and do a lot of free riding. And that's when I started to do more toes and we went to Chopu and I was filming my documentary at the time. There's definitely a difference between contest parks 1998 and before and 1999 and after. And I'm not going to say you didn't take things as serious because you were still a serious competitor, but what changed? I came from a three event background, so... I competed in barefooting when I was five years old to like nine years old. I competed in three event from nine years old till I was 13 years old. And I competed in wakeboarding till I was 14, roughly till I was about 26 or 27. I think that was all I knew at the time of wakeboarding. And I've always was a fan of like Randy's riding and Scott Byerly and all these people who made careers off of wakeboarding from not winning. I mean, yeah, Scott won worlds, but you know, Scott made a career from having the sickest film edits the sickest ads and I, I felt that was what was missing about my riding and like yeah I was the most winningest rider rider next to Darren up until like 2001 or so but like at that time I haven't sold one pro model like I had a pro model with CWB had a pro model with FM yet I still wasn't selling wakeboards like Byerly like Murray like a uh, you know a handful of other dudes so I I, I took my focus and, and put it into filming and just my rail riding. Cause you know, rails weren't a part of the wakeboard things like they are today. So I wanted to do more rail riding, do videos like free for all with Mark Bame and bump and the shafted and all that stuff. And, and especially after my injury, I definitely wanted to put more into just rail riding and developing the next level of where wakeboarding kind of was going parks if you'd had the board technology and the and the boat technology let's say 15 years ago that we've got today do you think you would have landed more 1080s behind the boat oh yeah i mean <laughs> i mean did i mean if you look at the wake that i was riding behind when i did a 1080 or just all of our all the guys that were riding back in the day if you look at the wake that we were riding on then and the size boards and the way the, the, I mean, the quality of our boots and the size of the fins and, like, everything about it was, 
Yeah, I mean it's a it's a different ball game nowadays for sure. The wakes are bigger, the boards are so much better, the boots, everything about it is just when when I moved to Florida in O two, O three, I remember one of the first contests that I'd went to was that Tyga event at Altamont Springs and Tino Santori won the event. I think it was a heel nine or something. Maybe it was just a toe nine, but it was it was right there. I remember, you know, there was only a handful of you guys that were doing these 900s in contests. And when I started announcing contests in 05, uh, nines became uh, so much more prominent. Every time, you know, you're seeing guys do three different variations of the 900 wake-to-wake in their runs in contest. Why aren't we seeing anybody do the 1080 wake-to-wake yet in contests? I mean, one, it's a hard trick. I mean, a lot of handle passes... Uh, the more handle passes you do in a contest run, the more risk you take on losing the handle. Truthfully, nowadays, like guys can get by with winning without having to put that kind of risk on the line. Like, yeah, maybe if you're an undergun, you could go for a 10 and stick it and go for the win. But like if you're Rusty or Phil or Harley or one of those guys, like I don't, I don't think you really need to put that kind of risk. I mean, the way the wake format goes, you I think you only get roughly six or seven tricks per run, so you re, you cannot afford a fall. And I don't think the format really allows for guys to go for a 1080. I think if you, you know, I think there's a couple other formats that you could experiment with to where that would let a guy get a solid run first and then really let them open up the doors on trying uh, some more tricks. And it is kind of like that now. You get one run, and then you get a backup run if you mess up. I mean, if you look at a vert contest, you know, within 15 minutes, five guys get, you know, a lot of runs. And I think you could do condense it down to like maybe shorter runs. And it's difficult behind the boat, but obviously in some of those uh, big air contests that like we saw at the Red Bull Wake Open, I, my favorite was that first year that we did the the Wake Open and they had the XL kickers come in right at the shore. And I, I mean, I do love the ramp to ramp. I think it's really, really cool, but. Man, some big stuff, you know, at that contest were going down. I remember we saw tens and double flips, and and uh, they were just being banged out one after another. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the Wake Open was an insane event. The big air format, which is the kind of like what we're replicating in snowboarding and the, the obviously the System 2.0, which is the down back, uh, like almost skate park kind of run. And then there's the boat riding so it was a it was a fun event and it it, it showcased and thank god we had live tv on nbc you know is you know red bull put in the money and made that event happen for two years because i think it really showcased uh the best parts of wakeboarding to the to the masses which is what we needed considering you know wakeboarding hasn't been in the x games since 2005 or six or so real fast uh, talking about uh, x games you were 14 years old when you won the X Games. You were the youngest X Games champion at that time, and you probably held that title for a really, really long time. Yeah, I think Sheckler actually was the next one to kind of break it when he was, like, I think 13 or 14 years old. When you were 14 years old, X Games wasn't the only contest you won. You were winning. You are you're crushing just about everybody. Did the guys back then kind of resent you a little bit for that? No, not at all. I don't think... There's any uh, animosity like that. I, in a way, I was I was one of the only young guys like on tour. There were I mean nowadays, it's exactly the opposite. There's probably 
very few older dudes and now it's all young kids. So I think they all took me under their wing and, and were all kind of like an older brother and, and broke me in. And I definitely got harassed a lot more than all the young kids do now or two. Or now it's like a traveling party for 17 year olds. But back, back when I was on tour, it was, I was the only 17 year old and I had to, I was getting nuggied and wedged. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You started as a water skier. You mentioned it earlier today. Do you do you follow water skiing at all? Uh, and if you do, like, what yeah, are your absolutely. Thoughts on it? Every every year, I watch the Masters, uh, the online, and uh, enjoy seeing a bunch of my old friends who I was the same age. You know, whether it be Jimmy Seamers or Renee Jaquis or Regina, Regina, right? Yeah, that's a, her older sister, Renee. No, yeah, but Regina and you know a lot of them. Uh, you know, we grew up with and Shannon and I knew when we were really young. So, and I've had a lot of good times at Masters. So I always enjoy watching that contest and and checking out. I always flip through Water Ski Magazine. Is there any when I see it? Any animosity between wakeboarders and water skiers? I don't think so. You know, one. I mean, we're we're completely taking off tour together, so it they've pretty much became its own entity in a sense. You know, we're, we're back in the day they would. Uh, well, the wakeboarders would piggyback the water ski events and then the tides kind of changed and then the water skiers would kind of piggyback the wakeboard events. And now it just seems like, you know, there's two separate deals going on, which is good. Hey, outside of wakeboarding, uh, I know you've been working on some projects. You've done uh, TV, you've done uh, movies, but uh, I think what you've been doing lately is, is some really cool stuff. You've been creating a lot of your own art. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've only done like the last couple few months and turned my busted garage into a busted studio. I mean, I've always sketched and kind of been able to draw a little bit and figured out, experiment and try to make my own frames and wrap some canvases and come up with my own and try to not just sketch my art and and have it. I try to sketch it, blow it up, make a stencil, put it on a canvas and try to get it full uh, circle till it's hanging on the wall. Where do you get your inspiration you know, I've just been watching a lot of stuff on online, and I've never really had, like, a long passion for art. I'm a big fan of Banksy, obviously. He's, I don't know, I've always had a knack for, for drawing and illustration and stuff, and it's just something, I know, I always like trying, whether it be, like, making beats or flying drones. It seems like my hobbies change every six months, so who knows if I'm going to be doing six months from now. But I, I've really enjoyed it. I've, it's a it's a lot of time, but I love the tedious work and I love how much time and, th- and just the process of come up with an idea, drawing it, blowing it up, sketching it, and then putting it on to a, a stencil and whatever it may be. And then just the full circle of it step by step until it's hanging on the wall. I've, it gives me a lot of gratification just to finally see it. Where can people pick it up? My idea of getting into it wasn't to like sell any prints or, or paintings or anything, but I've, I've sold a couple to some close friends who've said, hey, man, I'll buy one of those. So I've sold some to my friends and a couple other people who have seen it at a bar downtown. I haven't released it online or anything. Hopefully, eventually, I can get to that point. All right, Parks, one more thing. I saw on Vimeo a video of you and Danny Harf and some of the other uh, Ronix boys out in uh, Seattle doing some yacht surfing. What's the deal with that? Oh, uh, yeah, it's uh, yacht surfing. Every, t- every time we... Every time we get to go up to Radar, uh, our friend Bill Baxter hits us up, and he's like, dude, I'm down to go, whatever you already. This guy goes wake serving all the... If it's good in the summertime, he's going wake serving, and he puts like... But has, not just wake serving, yacht serving. Yacht, yeah, yeah, let me... The yacht Ta- serving. What, what, how yeah, big yacht is this serving. boat? The, this boat is... I think it's 
79 feet long. Uh, he puts like 13 fat sacks all around like the side rails. He's got like a, I think he has a 16 or 1700 pound fat sack that Eric Rons uh, made him. He, he makes all the sacks for Ronix and stuff for 8.3. So he made him a custom like 1500 pound sack that he just like overfills. So, I mean, it is wake surfing on steroids, man. It's crazy. It looks insane, and the speed I saw. Yeah, I mean, you surf both sides. I mean, you at the same time. At the same time, and then all you're doing is like praying that the guy on the other side falls because if they fall, then you're able to like hop up over the rooster tail and then back and drop back in on the other side. And when you like when you pop all the way up and drop back in, it's like seriously feels like transferring on a spine on like a. Like a big mini ramp or something. It's pretty insane. You got to get me the invite on the next trip. I don't know if you can handle the out surfing down. Yeah, but don't they pull you out of jet ski? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can. Yeah. I'll do a little back. Yeah, I was driving like right into the center thing, and Danny jumped off the back seat like straight into it. Yeah, uh, it's crazy to drop into it. Yeah, it's a it's good times. Not not cheap. Hopefully you guys get sponsored. Yeah, I think Bill Baxter, he'll be doing okay. Bill Baxter or Bill Yachtster? Bill Yachtster. Bill Yachtster. All right, Parks, tell the folks out there, all the listeners, um, where to follow you. If they're already not following you, maybe give some love to some of your sponsors. Uh, You can follow me on um, Instagram. That's what I post most on, uh, P-A-R-X-X-X. Every time I try to search it, I can't find it. I don't know if it's all caps. Same for uh, Twitter. Thanks for all my sponsors, you know, Masscraft, Ronex, Red Bull, Spy, Performance Ski and Surf. Love y'all. Dana. You're the man. Thank you, PB. I know we've we've done some talking on the microphone at uh, Pro Tour Stops in the past, but uh, it's been really cool having you here with me as the first guest of the new year. I feel honored. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. That's right. All right, guys. Well, hang tight. I'm going to be right back with a few closing thoughts right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Do, 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 do. Jammy Pack is the original fanny pack with affordable, portable, and durable audio technology. Jammy Pack Audio is now offered in backpacks, bike packs, coolers, and more. Be sure to check Jammy Pack's all new Bluetooth technology as well as everything else at jammypack.com. Jammy Pack, let there be music. Always fun and intriguing conversation with the living legend, Parks Bonifay. I appreciate PB for taking time from his busy schedule to open his home and talk to us. I've known Parks for almost 20 years now, and he's just always been such a stand-up guy. I know we could have talked for a heck of a lot longer, especially when the Red Bull started flowing that night. The friendly reminder going out to you guys, new episodes of the Golden Mike Podcast will post the first and third Wednesday of every month. Please be sure to give them all a listen and spread the word about us to any of your wakeboard posse by telling them to go back and listen to all the past episodes. Your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. This show is for you, the fans, so become a part of it by getting in touch with me through email, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com or the Golden Mike Facebook page. And if you really need to talk to me over the phone, we can probably arrange that one way or another. Before we go, a few shout-outs to the sponsors and the folks behind the scenes. Thank you to iWake.com, Performance Ski and Surf, PerfSki.com, Hungry Boards, SUP, Woodrow's, Jammy Pack, GoPuck, my friends at Logos That Pop, and Empire Sound and Lighting. 
Big thanks again to Jake Snyder Films, Brett Cormier, Jesse Spidell, and Jenna Hamill. Thank you to Parks Bonifay. And that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks again for listening, guys. I'm the noise of the North, Dan Alamano. And you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.